been our series for this whole year. Now, I know some of you may not have been attending with us for the whole year and caught all the messages, but that has been our overarching theme for this year as we just dug into what does it look like for God to build our house. And today, we're going to be just concluding um, that series, that overarching series, as well as um, our provision series that we've been going through. And so we'll focus a little bit on how God directs, and at the beginning here, we'll just wrap up our Build Your House teaching arc for 21-22. And like I said, you may not have been here through it all. You may not remember all the Bible stories that I may reflect on or anything like that, but hopefully you'll be able to connect with it and from personal experience and, and God just moving in you. Because since September, we've walked through six building blocks of how God builds his house. And our anchoring scripture for this has been Psalm 127.1, where it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And we want God to build this house. And we want God to be watching over the city of Cornwall and the surrounding SDG area. We want him to be watching over this so that we don't do we don't build and we don't watch over in vain. And over this year, we've done that by looking first at God's presence in our lives. And presence is the defining difference in the life of a Christ follower. We have the living presence of God in us and with us everywhere we go. Then we moved into our position with God that... Knowing that our identity in Christ is both an earthly and eternal significance. Knowing who you are in Christ and having your identity and your position in him solid is important. Then we moved on to power. And power is understanding that following Jesus is both a walk that we live out, but it's also a battle. That every day that we get up to walk that out, there's conflict around us about how to live that out. There's an enemy that wants to stop you from walking your faith out. Then we moved on to people and how through the life of Joseph, we looked at God's plans and purposes for us. We looked at how people around us can affect that plan and that purpose, just like it did for Joseph. From there, we moved on to prayer and how to pray. And we looked at the, 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 uh, the acronym of prayer, P-R-A-Y, where we learned to pause, reflect, then ask, and yield to God. And now, we're in our provision series where we're looking at how God provides equally, but it doesn't always seem like it's even. And as we finish, there's something that maybe you and I can relate to um, that we found true in life, and it's this. Hindsight is 2020, right? Hindsight is 2020. You can always look back and go, probably shouldn't have done that, or that was the right choice. We can look back, I can look back and lots of things, especially all the things that I did that were stupid, right? And look back and, and think, nope, nope, I shouldn't have played baseball in the house. That's why the bat went through the window. Nope, nope, shouldn't have done this. That's because, you know, we can look through life and we can find some of them are comedic and some of them are a little bit more tragic in our lives. But we can look back and say, in hindsight, and say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. I made the wrong choice there. 
And then equally, we can find all the great choices that we've made. And man, we were like, I'm so glad I listened to God in that moment. I'm so glad I followed that whisper of the Spirit to make that choice, to do what didn't seem like the right idea at the time, but has proven to be exactly where God wanted me to be and what he wanted me to do. So many times we see that God's direction most clearly in hindsight, don't we? We look at our lives and we go, man, I never would have pictured this is the trajectory that God had for me. This is how he was going to plan out my life. But when I look back, I can see all the decisions, all the moments in my life that I had to make a decision or I had to take a stand or I had to clarify something in my life that seemed like it was challenging and hard in that moment that I didn't see how it could any, in any way bring me closer to in my walk with God, but it has. It's brought me exactly where I am today, which is exactly where God wants me to be. In the palace, like we talked about Joseph, Joseph could see God's direction more clearly than in the pit or in the prison. He had dreams of seeing his brothers and his parents come to him and bow down in front of him. Early on, he thought, man, I'm going to rule over. I'm the youngest, but I'm going to rule. And it turns out that bowing down was because he was going to eventually be able to save them because of his position in Egypt. But he didn't see that going into it, did he? I'm sure in the book of Esther in the Bible that as her enemies hung in the gallows, she could see God directing her steps a lot easier than when she was conscripted into a beauty pageant for an arranged marriage, right? How do you see God's leading and provision in that moment versus when you see your people saved? Or after Jesus' resurrection, his followers, I'm sure, could see with a deepening trust Better understanding his teachings in the light of kingdom that Jesus rules over. They could go from thinking he was going to overthrow Jerusalem's rulers and Rome's rulers to understanding that he's really overthrowing the toughest ruler of all to overthrow us in our own hearts. Neither you or I, when, when we look at those, those Bible stories and we think about those people, we don't live in hindsight, do we, though? We don't live looking backwards all the time and deciding how we're going to live. Rather, we're facing it head on. There's a challenge in front of us today. There's a, there's a decision in front of us right now that we have to act on that we're saying, God, I don't know how to make this decision. And we're hoping and pleading that he will help us make the right one. And we have no idea how it may turn out. And because we live that way, because we live that way, trust needs to be a bridge that is critical from living from a known past into an unknown future, isn't it? When you take that step from where you haven't been to where you need to be and you don't know how it's going to act or turn out, it's much like that old Indiana Jones movie. Have you ever seen that? I think it was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which ended up not being the Last Crusade because there's a new movie being made. Anyway, he's sitting there and he's searching for the Holy Grail. Right? And that's often how we feel we are looking for things when we're looking for the right answer, isn't it? That answer that we need for our future is that holy grail that we're looking for. God, just give it to me straight and clear. Just print it on the clouds in front of me. Give it to me straight so I can understand what my next step is. And Indiana Jones is sitting there and he has to cross this big chasm. And it's just, it's open. 
But then there's this, there's this line or a riddle that he has to solve to be able to get across, and it talks about putting, taking a, a leap of faith, a step of, a step of trust out. And he takes a step out, and there's an invisible bridge or a bridge that's, that's camouflaged in the, into the shape of the far side of the wall. But he has to take that step where it looks like there's nothing below him. And that's often what it's like for us, isn't it? We feel like we're stepping out into nothing. Trust. It takes a lot of trust to do these things. Because God's ways are often totally contrary to the ways of the world, to the way society and our culture will tell us. This is how you got to do it to be successful. God's ways seem so contrary or opposite to that sometimes. So it takes a leap of faith when you look at everybody else going the other direction and you're stepping out and going the other way. So when it comes to trust, what causes us to mistrust? What causes us to hesitate? When we think of God being the creator of the universe, right? He created everything down to the minute little speck of everything that you could ever think of. He created, made it, knows it, and is, and is caring for it. And you think of that, and you think of the fact that not only did he do all that, he also loves you. He knows every hair on your head and every hair I don't have on my head. He knows them all. He cares for us. So why would we ever have a problem going, fine, I'll follow you. I'll step out because I know I can trust you. Something must cause us to mistrust in those moments. And I think there's two things that can play into this. The first one is this. From experience, we've come to know someone as untrustworthy, don't we? Someone lies to you. They betray you. They break a promise to you. Someone cheats or steals, sabotages or destroys. Then you don't trust, do you? It could be something small. Somebody says they're going to show up at a certain time and they're not there at that, right, at that time. And then they're late. And what do we think in our head? Ah, oh, they're always going to be late. You don't trust them to show up on time anymore. It just builds and all of a sudden there's a mistrust in our lives. And the second way is through this. Through misunderstandings, we mistakenly believe one is not trustworthy. Maybe we've listened to gossip. Maybe we've heard somebody say, oh, so-and-so is this or that, and this is the way things are. And we start to believe that, but it may not be reality. Maybe we've been taught something that's untrue. Maybe somebody taught us something in a way that made it sound like it's truth, that it made sense logically, but it wasn't actual reality. Maybe we didn't take the time to find out for ourselves. We didn't take time to say, you know what? This is something I need to know and own and believe for myself. And we didn't take the time to do that. We just let others decide for us. And it's led us to mistrust. Jesus told stories that contained truth, that could reveal truth from different perspectives and experiences. And they're called parables. And we'll be looking at a lot of them over the summer because in our summer series, we're going we're gonna to talk about parables every single week. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, but one parable in particular that we'll talk about today does a great job of highlighting the idea of provision that we've been talking about through this series. And uh, we'll just dive, let's just dive into it. It starts, it's found in Matthew 25. It says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. There, 
we go our provision, God providing. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Here we get the given equally, but not evenly. Uh, Each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the talent, uh, who had two talents, uh, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. You see, God equally gives all his stewards his talents. But he doesn't, doesn't distribute them evenly. We may often want to focus on that, saying, that's not fair. How come he got five and he got two and she got one or she got five and she got two and I got one? How come this worked that way? You know, Jesus seems in this parable not to be focusing on that, but rather the freedom that each one of those stewards had to act on what they were given. And as we read the next part of this parable, pay attention to the misunderstanding that's revealed in this parable. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled, to, and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing his five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made you two more. As the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here. You have what is yours. Now, a moment ago I shared how trust can be broken through misunderstanding about a situation, about someone. See, both stewards with five and two talents receive, sow, multiply, and return. They were faithful and trusted for the outcome that they would be rewarded. Yet the steward entrusted with a single talent was driven by fear. And the root of his fear was distrust, a mistaken belief in the nature and character of the master. Because he said, but his master answered him, you wicked and sinful servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. And this is where our enemy works over time as we go through difficult circumstances. We grow in trust or in mistrust regarding who God says he is. Because that's never how God has revealed himself, is it? That he is this wrathful, spiteful, angry man who who reaps where he hasn't sown and he just grabs anything that's not his and pulls it in. That's not how he's described himself at all. This servant decided to see God that way and not trust him. Once a steward 
with one t- talent gives in to this misunderstanding of his master and mistrusting of his master. He spends the rest of his time doing the wrong things, going in the wrong direction. The potential loss of talent and how the master would respond is how he reacted. I can't lose this talent, so I just need to bury it. I don't want the master to respond bad because I've lost something that was his, and so I'm just going to bury it. And here comes our growth step. As stewards, God expects a return on his investment. Now, here's the thing. In Christ, we won't be judged by our sin, but we will give an account of our stewardship. Hear that. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we're not judged by our sin. We will give an account of our stewardship of what God's given us. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgotten. Our sins are behind us. Even the ones that you have not yet committed yet. He's forgiven you and he will forgive you. Your repentant heart and your submission to God will continue to ensure that your sins are separated from you. So what then are we judged by? If not, our response to the beautiful gift that we've been given and how we've stewarded that gift. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, the body of Christ, whether good or evil. If we are unfaithful, God will redirect our provision to another who will be faithful. So listen again to how the master responds in in the parable response. He says, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from the, the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And this isn't, this isn't a salvation issue. This isn't an issue like that at all. In this parable, Jesus praises obedience. It's not the outcome. It's the obedience. Notice it's not that the, the person who's two talents wasn't expected to make ten talents as well. It was like the person with five talents who comes back with another five, and he's like, great job. And the person with two, he didn't have to do fivefold to get to ten as well. It wasn't like the master was like, what? Why didn't you work twice as hard as the other guy to get the same amount? No. Why didn't you be faithful with what I've been given you, work with what I've given you to see a return of what I've, what I've entrusted to you? In this this parable, again, I just want to reiterate so you don't get confused. Our sins are forgiven. Jesus covers them all. There's no St. Peter at the gate deciphering whether you're making it in or not. That's not how it works. Like all the jokes go, St. Pete's at the gate and come on up and ask him, you know, you ask him questions to try to trick him to get in. There's nothing like that. If you're following Jesus, your sins are forgiven. He's covered them all. Our judgment is about whether we, what we've done with the talents that God has given us. In this parable, Jesus shows how both trust and mistrust direct our steps. There's no middle ground. We trust in God, and we see his purpose and his plans unfold in front of our lives. We don't trust God, and we see his purpose and his plans 
have to take a different route. The route of hard knocks, the, the, hard, the route of hard lessons, the route of, of us not knowing where we're, we are and having to get back on track with where God wants us to be and what he wants us to do. Jesus shows us a day where everything we've been given will be held to account. He tells us his purpose will be accomplished by faithful people. People who grow in trusting his character in ways enough to live a grand life of faith. Now to be clear, the talents we're dealing with are mostly this, faith, hope, love, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Literal money, actual money, is not the biggest talent that God really cares about at all. It's, a, it's just a reflection of everyday life. It truly should be just a reflection of our submission to Christ, how we handle or manage our money. When we flip it and make money the biggest talent that God's given us, the biggest moment or thing that God gives us to honor him with, we've turned that around. Because money is going to, it's going to disappear. You're not taking any money with you into heaven. But you will take the fruit of the Spirit. You will take the gifts of the Spirit. You will take love, faith, hope. Those things will be eternal. So those are the talents and the gifts that we need to focus on. Absolutely must our money be in alignment with God's provision, God's, God's direction for our lives. But it's a secondary issue. It's us and our hearts that make it a primary issue because, again, what does our culture do? What is the biggest thing our culture wants us to focus on in our lives? Money. Do you have enough to be happy in life? Do you have enough to do all the nice things in life? Do you have enough to have heaven on earth right now? We don't want heaven on earth. We want God's kingdom on earth. It's his kingdom that we're living for. Heaven will, will wait. Heaven's coming. Don't worry about that. But we want his kingdom here right now. But his kingdom doesn't look like those type of riches. We'll be rich in mercy and grace. Rich in hope and love. Rich in kindness. Rich in so many other things that are so much more valuable to God. Many Christians will have no issue with salvation at all. Salvation is great. I can submit to God that he's perfect. I'm not. I need him to have forgiveness in my life. That's not a problem for most Christians. I'm assuming that most of you here today have made that type of declaration. God's God. I'm not. I need him to cover my brokenness. Stewardship is where the battle begins. We're like kids being assigned chores at home. No fair. I did that last time. I don't want to do family chores. How come I have to do this? It's such a, a task. Why do I have to? If you've been to my house, you know I've got a, I got a fairly decent-sized house. God blessed us with a big house, but that's a chore to, ki- to clean that house. It's a lot of floors to clean. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of windows to wash. That's a big lawn to cut. And we don't like doing family chores sometimes. It's just like us with our gifts, our skill sets that God's given us as the body of Christ. This family and the chores that we each have in this family. We can be just as stubborn and belligerent as kids sometimes. 
But I want to be 100% clear. I don't want you to think anything different than, than what I believe God has for us today. To build this house, God expects each one of us to use the gifts and talents that we have. No ifs, ands, or buts. You have gifts, every single one of you. Nobody is giftless. Nobody has, has, none of you can say, I have nothing to offer this community. That is a lie from the enemy. We all have gifts to give. And this house can't be built the way God wants us to build it unless we're all chipping in. In Life Center, we cannot flourish if we do not use our talents for his glory. Seeing a return on that investment God entrusted with us. Each one of us has something that God has poured into. Each one of us will be responsible individually to say, to walk before God and say, this is what I did with the talent that you gave me. Bury your talent at your own risk. And if this feels uncomfortable to you, maybe you have a talent that the master gave you that you have to dig up and start being faithful with. Whoever is leading your steps, whoever put you put your trust in to lead your steps, that's whose house you're building. Let me say that again. Whoever is leading your steps is the one you are trusting to build your house. I know this can, be, this can seem harsh, and it can seem like this ultimatum, but in love, I tell you again, there is no neutral ground. The fruit of our lives exposes the master that we serve. So when life is unclear, the, fur, the future uncertain, or circumstance doesn't seem to match God's character, we can't use hindsight to figure it out. But this is what we can do. We can use hindsight to see what he's already done. We can use hindsight to say, God's been there for me in the past. And he's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I can trust him like I did yesterday for my today and my tomorrow. He's done it. He can do it again. And there's a verse in Proverbs 3 that I think will be helpful for us in this. And it says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Isn't that beautiful? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I love how the message version says it. It says it great. Maybe you'll, it'll, it'll uh, resonate with you too. It says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. 
Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Amen. It's beautiful. To close, I wrote a response to the prayers in the video that we watched just before I came up. There was a prayer in it about uh, God uh, building his house through us. And if you want to commit with me to being the type of steward who is faithful and obedient with what God has entrusted to you, I invite you, or I invite all of us anyway, because we're going to close in a, in a song. But I invite you to stand with me this morning. And on the screen, there's going to be a responsive prayer to, to this that we can uh, pray together. So I invite you to stand now. And whether you want to say the prayer with me or not, that's your choice. But we'll pray through this, or I'll pray through this, and then uh, our worship team will, will close us in a song. But this prayer is really just a response to saying, God, I want to be that steward, that type of steward that that you build your house through. So let's pray it together. Jesus, with your help, we will be more like you. Holy Spirit, you've empowered us to be who you've gifted us to be. Father, we will abide in your love. Jesus, We receive your healing, broken relationships, hearts, minds, and bodies. We commit to rise early, pray fervently, and trust your word is ultimate truth. Our hearts are surrendered to you. In your strength, we will resist darkness. We will be tender to others around us. We will love not judge. Build up, not break down. We will love one another as you love us. Jesus, your revival has started in us. The harvest is ready. As your laborers, we are going, Lord. Until earth looks like heaven, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, build your house through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.